Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have another faculty member from Singularity University. Our goal on the podcast is interview all the faculty members because every single one of them is involved in all kinds of great initiatives. They're uh, big thinkers, and I always get a tremendous value from interviewing them, and I'm sure you as a listener will get a lot of value from listening. My guest today is Hod Lipson. Uh, Hod, how are you doing? Good. Uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. So if you would, um, can you let listeners, you know, in addition to Singularity University, what projects you're working on, but, you know, all the major projects that you're involved in right now? Yeah, so uh, my uh, day job is uh, teaching and doing research at Columbia University in New York City. And uh, what we do there most of the time is uh, do research and try to sort of uh, answer big questions that have to do with robotics, both uh, trying to understand how to build uh, better robots, how to physically make robots, how to teach robots, to do things, and we're trying to tackle some of the big questions uh, like uh, how can you make robots creative, how can you make robots uh, self-aware, these kinds of things. Hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, compare the state robots are in now to the state that you envision them being in. How long do you think it'll take? What will it take? You know, that's one of these uh, things that in order to, to do uh, research in an exponential world of artificial intelligence, manufacturing, and so on, you have to be a little bit delusional about what you can actually accomplish because the the target is moving and everything is uh, changing as you try to build it. But we're what we're trying to do is, for example, to make a robot that uh, is self-aware. You know, it's maybe it's one of these uh, holy grails of uh, robotics, something that is uh, uh, almost uh, alive, maybe conscious in some way. So, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, when I started off with career, I thought, okay, this is going to be, uh, you know, not quite an afternoon hack, but it's going to maybe take me a couple of years and we get somewhere. But it turns out that it's a very difficult task. Uh, machines are getting smarter and smarter, but there's something elusive about self-awareness, something that, you know, our machines are getting incredibly capable, incredibly quickly, incredibly fast, but there's something elusive about this uh, human quantity of consciousness quality of, of being able to to think about ourselves that somehow we're no uh, we're not getting any near uh, when it comes to building machines so uh, I still do think that uh, we're, we're getting there we're we're getting closer uh, we're getting we're on the path to to achieving that but there's still some ways to go yeah it's weird if you look at the human brain supposedly we can understand that it's a collection of neurons and, you know, some other structures, but what creates the emergent property where we have consciousness, we have a sense of self, you know, all that stuff. I mean, animals have it, but seemingly to a lesser degree than we do. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so you know, you nailed it. This is this is exactly sort of the elusiveness of, of this, these amazing properties. When you, when most people think about sort of the end game of artificial intelligence, usually they think about what happens when artificial intelligence becomes self-aware, when it can sort of think for itself, when it has its own goals, and so on. And yet, in a way, we're not any closer to, to achieving that. We have faster, cheaper, better computers. 
Moore's Law, we have uh, more and more data, we have incredibly powerful machine learning, but there's still something missing in terms of getting to that level. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that uh, for me that's changed over the last couple of uh, uh, years is uh, we began realizing that self-awareness is not a black and white thing. It's not that you're either self-aware or not, but, a gra- but, but it's actually a gradual ca- uh, characteristic. It's something that uh, you, uh, you can have different levels of. It's shades of gray. You can have, you know, there's probably some animals that are very minimally self-aware, and you can have more and more self-awareness. And while human-level self-awareness is maybe very far off, simpler, lower levels of self-awareness are within reach, and we're trying to build those things right now. Well, you know, because you're intimately involved in this area, what do you guess is what's behind uh, consciousness and, you know, the way humans are? Do you think it's uh, from God or do you think that it's a physical type manifestation? What, do you, what's your, what are your guesses? Well, I definitely think it's a physical manifestation. That's the only, that's the only hope I have to actually recreating it. I mean, if it's a, if it's a mm-hmm. spiritual thing, then then it's out of the realm of what you can build. But, but uh, so I definitely subscribe to the, to the uh, school of thought that, that it's an emergent phenomenon that's, that's entirely physical. And if we only get the principles right, we can have it appear. But more than that, the, the sort of working hypothesis, and people have debated what consciousness and self-awareness is for millennia. I mean, it's not a, it's not a new question. It's a question that's been there for a long time. But with robotics and AI, we can start, having a sort of very uh, concrete discussion uh, and test our ideas, not just talk about uh, and speculate. So the the idea that we're uh, working with, uh, and we're debating this even here in academia between ourselves, is uh, one of the working hypotheses is that self-awareness is essentially nothing but the ability to simulate oneself into the past and back, uh, in, into the future and uh, back, into the past. In other words, to do what some people call uh, mental time travel and the ability to, for, for example, imagine yourself. If you can imagine yourself, let's say, uh, walking on the beach tomorrow, if you, can, if you can smell the ocean, if you can feel the sand under your feet, you can do this mental time travel, including all the sensation and all the actions that are involved in that, then you are self-aware to some extent. You're not living in the moment you actually can, can, can see yourself in the future and you can see yourself in the past. And that ability is the key to self-awareness. Uh, because once you can start uh, simulating yourself, so to speak, uh, into the future and into the past, you can start uh, having an appraisal of consequences of actions and consequences of situations in the future. And that's the beginning of another interesting thing, which is emotions. And again, I would argue that emotions are also nothing but appraisals of future, uh, of the consequence of, of, of actions and situations into the future. So everything from fear to love is sort of an appraisal of uh, the future. And so if you, take, uh, if you take this kind of mechanistic view of emotions and self-awareness, you now have a tool to start trying to build that in reality. And that's what we're trying to do. So where are you at with your research? What have you been able to accomplish, you know, to make, to give robots any of these qualities? Like, have you gotten anywhere so yet? Or, yeah. So where we, so I can tell you where we are now. It's a very, very primitive uh, uh, 
compared to 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 humans level self awareness so what we have now are simple robots uh they don't even look humanoid they kind of be looks more like spiders and what's unique about these robots is that they are blind they have absolutely no external sensors uh they the only thing they have are introspective sensors uh they uh prior sensitive sensing as it's called uh for in in biology in other words they can sense uh you know the their their own motors they can sense how much current there how much torque uh, the, the angles of different uh, joints they can sense whether they're tilting left and right forward and backwards they can sense whether they're touching something underneath them uh they can sense themselves uh, and that is very different than most robotic systems today which are obsessed with sensing the world you know they have cameras and they have microphones and they have lidars they have all kinds of things about sensing the world outside our robots have a lot of sensory uh uh feedback about themselves and they take all that information and they try to create a simulation of themselves so to speak they try to 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 create some kind of understanding of what they are uh and uh they basically build uh, over time they kind of babble around and they build a simulation of themselves and when we look into them uh we can visualize a little bit of what uh, kind of how they see themselves and we're beginning to see very crude simple kind of stick figures which is how the robot uh thinks but the robot thinks it is and uh you know in the beginning these models are very wrong but over time as the robot moves around and sort of uh uh you know uh, babbles and 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 just does this apparently random motions it begins to understand what it is and once it has that internal hmm. model it can start doing things like predicting how to walk it can learn how to walk very quickly because it has a simulation of itself and so it does it begins to do things in its imagination rather than do it in the real world and again this is a very very crude form of self awareness but i think it's on the path to what will one day be full blown self human level self awareness and maybe even beyond yeah it's okay so it, can you talk more about the work that you're doing with machines you said that they are coming to a point where they have some sort of self understanding or i mean how primitive is it can you yeah, go into a little bit more detail on what you're seeing Yeah so what you for example uh, here's a a trivial example you have a robot that uh, has four legs and uh, it has eight motors uh, when you look at it from the outside you see it's a spider but the robot itself has no clue that it's a spider it has no clue if it's a spider a snake a tree it has no clue how its body parts are connected uh, but all it knows is it has eight motors that are connected in some way that uh, it has uh, uh you know it's applying torque with these motors it it can sense that it's its center body is tilting left and right but it doesn't know really how what's what's the the body it's in and after about 4 days of doing this babbling when we look inside uh and we visualize what the robot thinks it is uh we can start uh we in the beginning we see these these completely random spaghetti looking self images so it's completely has no clue that it's a spider but it's doing these experiments is babbling is ruling things out is trying new things and after about 4 days you look inside and uh you can actually see that it has uh, it's pretty much figured that that it has four legs and we never told it that it has four legs but it figured that on its own through its uh, you know brief experience with the world of about 4 days and uh and with with is that it, 
knowledge, uh, it can it can do things. Do you think it's figuring out it has four legs, or it's figuring out in which ways it can move, and it has you know four or eight um, or twenty four whatever x ways it can move? It do you think it's optimizing actually, its ability to move, or it has literally an awareness that it has? It has actually it it. Uh, it doesn't even move at that point. It just figures out that it has four legs, uh, and you can see it. You can see that you can see this kind of hazy uh, self-image that has four legs, and that's that's what the robot thinks it is. And it was never explicitly programmed with, to to know that it has four legs. It just emerged from its interaction with the world, and it doesn't even want to move at that point in particular. It just figured out what it is in a very sort of very primitive way. How do you know that it figures out what it is and that it wants or doesn't oh, want anything? Like, how, how well, do you know? well, we can, we, you know, these are, these robots are simple enough that we can actually look inside and see the complete picture. So, so we can actually visualize what the robot is, is thinking about itself. And, uh, and, uh, and we can actually, when we, when we actually draw it, and there's lots of pictures on our website, you can actually see, uh, you can actually see the four legs, um, and it's very crude. It's it's not accurate, but but it's a very crude self-image. And at that point, the robot really has no objectives except uh, knowing what it is. It's a very sort of uh, introspective, if you like, uh, objective. It's not a external objective such as let me let me run as fast as I can or or climb up the street. It's a very introspective thing goal and that that is what self-awareness is about is is imagining yourself you know so if you you right now have an image of yourself uh if i ask you to describe yourself you can you 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 know what you are you know what you can do what you can't do you you know things about yourself not just your about your body but other things but you know you have a you have some kind of self-image and that's what this robot is uh, trying to develop as well in a very crude way. Hmm. Interesting. What would be the next baby step from this point that would show you success? Um, you know, we're trying to uh, uh, try this out on lots of different uh, kinds of uh, robots. Get this. Uh, we want uh, robots to not just create a self-image of their own physical body, but we want them to create a self-image of their own AI. In other words, we want them to think about how they think. Uh, we want robots to, we have robots that look at other robots and try to create an image of the other robot. Again, not a camera image of the other robot, but try to infer how the other robot thinks. What, what are the other robots' goals? How, what can that, how does that other robot move? What can it do what it can't do? Um, so just like you can create a, a, a model of yourself, you can also create a model of, of other things. And, and again, we humans do this all the time. Uh, when we talk to other humans, we are trying to understand what they're thinking. When we collaborate with people or compete with other people, we're trying to predict what they're going to do. We're trying to understand what they can and can't do. Uh, so being able to model other individuals, other agents, if you like, and try to understand what they can and can't do, how they think, what they think they are, what they think we think, all these sort of philosophical, you know, uh, infinite regressions of, of uh, theory of mind. These are all things that we're, we're trying to build into, uh, into our robots. So right now we have another set of robots that are trying to model each other and, uh, and then another robot that is trying to model itself, but not just the mechanics 
uh, it's trying to model its own thinking. And so we'll see how far that will go. Okay. Are there any other um, researchers out there that you're aware of that are doing projects in a similar vein where they're having any inroads that you haven't gotten to? Um, you know, the part of the, the challenge with AI is that the field is moving so fast that it's very, very difficult to keep track of it. Um, I think that when it comes to, to you know, self-simulation, the, uh, the, the field is, is pretty sparse. Uh, most people are trying to make systems that learn about the world, not learn about themselves uh, by far. If you look at most of the AI research, it's mostly about systems that learn from external sensors rather than learn about themselves. But uh, you know, you can see uh, you can see attempts in trying to uh, make uh, you know uh, adaptive control systems that can control, let's say, an aircraft by by having the aircraft learn about itself a little bit, things like that. So in a in a sort of uh, perhaps in a related, there's a couple of fields that are related to this idea of self-simulation, but for the most part, I think it's uh, it's still not a common topic. In fact, I would say that um, you know, research in self-awareness and consciousness is is uh, is almost as being a taboo topic in robotics uh, for a long time. It's one of these areas where um, you know. Uh, People always thought, okay, machines cannot be self-aware. This is something that's uniquely human. Uh, it's uniquely biological. Sci-fi movies have self-aware machines, but in reality, it's not really possible. And so most roboticists try to stay away from this topic. It's sort of considered almost a, you know, uh, something that uh, you shouldn't be doing research in. But to me, it's, uh, it's the, the holy grail. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you think is... Um is going to be possible in the next five years, 10 years? And what do you think is still going to be a fantasy for a long time to come, if ever? You know, we have a tendency to underestimate, uh, well, in, in some sense, to overestimate what I, AI can do. Uh, and that's sort of the, the deceptionary period of AI. And these days we have a tendency to underestimate what AI can do because it's moving so fast. It's sort of at that, you know, at the, the, the rapid growth portion of the exponential curve, and so yeah. uh, at the risk at the risk of underestimating, uh, I do think that you know human level self awareness is maybe a hundred years away, but uh, but uh, practical useful self awareness can happen a lot sooner. And I can give you some examples of things we've done that are I think very practical, even though they're very very crude. Uh, we have, for example, uh, a bridge. That uh, uh, this is uh, you know an, an example application where the uh, bridge uh, a structure has you know a few weak points in it, but uh, it begins to try to find out what it is by gradually, very subtly vibrating itself and uh, creating models uh, that predict how it's supposed to vibrate, seeing how these models disagree sensing the vibration, vibrating again. In other words, and gradually over time of these vibration and sensation of the bridge is vibrating itself in a very subtle, subtle vibration, it can begin to form an image of itself. And so that bridge over time begins to form a self-image internally of what that bridge looks like and where the weak joints are and where the strong joints are. And what we could see is uh, that very quickly the bridge self-identified a couple of weak links 
that would be very difficult to identify using conventional civil engineering approaches. And so, um, and it identified them more accurately and faster than the conventional techniques. So while this is a very, very crude example of self-awareness, you do have a very practical system that you would probably uh, like to have uh, sort of uh, incorporated into any bridge, into any structure uh, out there so that it can continually monitor itself uh, and alert you if there's something uh, something wrong. So these kinds of things are you know, already work in the lab. They're a very crude form of self-awareness, but they're very, very practical and very useful. And I think these kinds of systems we will see in the very short term. We can see those uh, unfolding in the next okay. uh, two or three years uh, because uh, they're of great practical use and uh, they help us uh, maintain an increasingly complexifying infrastructure. But uh, how long will it take to get to human self-awareness? That can be uh, you know, a century. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Okay, but, well, uh, you know, well, but we maybe we, we underestimate it. But I have to say that another thing that uh, I always find as a misconception is that uh, people always think that, okay, human level consciousness is maybe the ultimate thing. But uh, there's really no reason to think that uh, that human level consciousness is the, is the best you can do. If once you get this ball rolling, uh, you can probably go beyond that. Beyond that? What do you, what's, your vision of beyond that, what does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, what 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 is something that is uh, more sophisticated than human uh, that's difficult to imagine? But, you know, if you ask a monkey, uh, what's how can you be more sophisticated than a monkey? You know, could could, could they imagine uh, a human? Uh, that's very difficult. It's very difficult for us to imagine something more self-aware than us. But, but, uh, but it's quite possible that, uh, you know, something that has more senses, that can uh, see more, can listen, can hear more, can feel more, can uh, be more self-aware than even we can. But it's very, very difficult for us uh, to understand. It's like... Uh, it's like you know asking a dog to to understand Shakespeare. I mean, it's it's just uh, could be beyond our yeah. capacity to even imagine. Well, have you done any imagining? Any uh, any thoughts that you've had? You know, musings on what it could mean. I mean, I yeah, know you I just mean, explained some, but um, anything else that you came up with that you thought was particularly shocking or clever or that I, you know, no, you, she, did you sit there and say, "Whoa." <laughs> Yeah, there's here's an example. Something that happened to us in the lab. A very, a very simple, uh, a, a simple example. So we were building a live demonstration of deep learning uh, to a large audience. It's a big conference on deep learning. It's about 2,000 people in the audience, and we had we made this live demo, and we wanted to make sure that it works. And the 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 demo. This was a couple of years ago. We would wave something in front of a robot, and the robot would say out loud. What is the thing that we're waving? So we'd wave a bottle, uh, a water bottle, a banana, uh, you know, just random a mouse keyboard, uh, random objects, and it would it would yell out what these are. And uh, so we were training this system in the lab, and uh, it's a high stakes demo. So we trained it for a long time, and we had next to the computer we had this uh, this uh, panel that would visualize what the neural network is doing, and we would. Uh, we would sort of show how different neurons in the networks were responding to the camera feed. And it was just sort of, a, uh, you know, more of a sort of a curiosity thing than, than anything practical. But one day we noticed something very, very uh, peculiar. We noticed that one of these neurons in this big 
neural network that had maybe a million neurons in it was tracking our faces. In other words, anybody that was walked into the lab, there would be a dot placed on their face. And that as they moved around the lab, the dot would, would track them anywhere they moved within the camera view. And uh, this was something very strange, uh, in fact, quite spooky, because we never trained the system to track faces. We never asked it to do it. We only wanted it to recognize bananas and water bottles and a couple of other things. But we never asked it to track faces. And yet, somehow, it was tracking faces. And retrospectively, we understand what had happened, that in order to understand what certain things are, it figured out that it's useful to know where our human faces. For example, cell phones frequently appear next to human faces. Uh, and so there's lots of, it's useful to know what a human face is if you're going to do this real-time classification. So in retrospect, it's understandable that that's what the system chose to do. Nevertheless, it was quite alarming to see that it learned how to do that on its own. And even more interesting is this thought of what else it's tracking, because uh, we happen to visualize this particular neuron, and we happen to understand that it was tracking faces, because that's something we understand. We know we also track faces. And so, you know, we, we know what that is, but who knows what else uh, some of these million other neurons are tracking. And that gives you, uh, for me, it was the first instance of of saying, you know, uh, this system is learning things beyond what we are programming it. And yes, it is going to have eventually an awareness that is not programmed directly. And awareness is probably tracking things for which we have no words for. So we can't even imagine. And this is just the beginning because it's doing it through a camera. But if it had, you know, high... If we were seeing in the dark and with more more higher range of the spectrum and with other types of sensors, who knows what it would be tracking and who knows what kind of qualia it would be developing that uh, we don't even have words for. So I think that's that was to me the first glimpse of what a superhuman intelligence might look like uh, and how much we lack the words to describe what that entity would be thinking. And uh and I think this is just the beginning. You know, and the interesting is that I know from our own perception as humans, like let's say, um, you know, we're standing outside and talking to somebody. There's all this information that is coming into our brain that we're discarding. You know, we have a reticular activating system that thankfully focuses us on only certain things because we'd be, I guess, overwhelmed otherwise. But, you know, what if... Um, as an alternate, maybe we are more, much more powerful than we think. Maybe if we had a computer system that would capture all the data we don't normally capture and process it and then, you know, make it available to us, even that would uh, seemingly elevate our consciousness and our abilities without having to, you know, to have a machine do it. And, you know, we still could be maybe who we are, just augmented. Right. I mean, there's, there's you know, I think as humans, we perceive a lot more than we think we do. I mean, you're talking to somebody, right. you're listening to them, and you know, maybe your brain is also capturing something about the shininess of their hair that is giving you some kind of indication about something that you're not even consciously processing. And there's many indications that we pick up body language and other subtle things that we don't necessarily even have words for, but we're picking those cues up and we're using those cues to make decisions. Uh, People do this all the time, and so do these neural networks. They pick up these subtle cues 
that we don't even have words for. Uh, philosophers call these qualia. These are these 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 compound sensations for which we don't have words, like the the taste of chocolate, the you know the smell of a morning. Uh, you know there there are these uh, things that we don't really have words for, but they are sensations that give us information. And so, uh, yes, I think actually when we talk to people, we have we pro- our brain processes a lot of these qualias, and so do neural networks, but neural networks can process more. Um, they can be larger, they can have more sensory, uh, more sensors, and yes, they can uh, eventually, uh, we know one possibility is that they feed those these higher-level qualia back into our brain, and suddenly we can sense things that we couldn't sense otherwise, and we can use that subconsciously or consciously to make decisions. So, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting future if we can only find out how to integrate these things in a in a good way. Yeah, just last last couple of questions. Um, I've heard, and we've already talked to this. I just want to give it a name. Um, you know, for instance, a machine is trained to play a video game, and it somehow is able to do things in the video game that neither the programmers nor any other player came up with. You know, or a regular game, chess or go. It's doing things that people don't even know how it's doing it. So. It, from what I've heard, the term is, is people say it's an emergent property of deep learning and machines have a literal machine intelligence. They have a way of figuring out stuff and we don't even know how they do it, but it's different from what any human would do with that uh, game or that situation or whatever it is. So I guess this is kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, maybe even an even more primitive uh, version of it or a different flavor of it. That's right. Do you have I any think, comments I, on that? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. There is there's, there's quality that we can only see in hindsight, where a machine came up with a move that nobody thought about, and suddenly we we can we can uh, we ascribe intelligence to it, and we understand it. Or we, we it sometimes feels like an alien intelligence. I think Gary right. uh, Kasparov, when he uh, talked about uh, Deep Blue, he said like, he could feel this alien uh, type of intelligence there. Uh, and was intelligent, but it was different. And I think that's absolutely right. There is this uh, uh, alien element to it. It's a different kind of intelligence. And the more these systems are connected to new kinds of sensors that humans don't have, if a machine can see in the dark and can sense uh, electromagnetic waves and parts of the spectrum we can't sense, it will uh, have even more of this kind of alien type of intelligence that... uh, we uh, either won't understand or we'll, we'll uh, sort of look at uh, with awe, but maybe, you know, eventually won't even, it will look like magic, you know? I mean, it will be just sort of beyond anything we can perceive. But, uh, you know, even humans, when, when you have a, you know, on the rare occasion when a human uh, makes an incredibly, uh, a, a, makes a, a leap uh, of intelligence and that you know makes an Einstein step sees somewhere that nobody could see before. I mean, it also mm. feels like an alien form of intelligence, and uh, I think uh, I think that's what it might feel like. I think that's a good analogy. Yeah, and I guess through your examples, now we're putting different words to it. But you felt that on more than one occasion with your work or seeing other people's work. Um, yeah, well, I definitely feel that all the time when I see other people's work and, uh, wow, they, they made that leap. Uh, sometimes you feel, oh, I could have done that. I can understand it. And sometimes you feel, wow, how could they see that far away? I mean, they somehow were able mm. to see it. Sometimes we call that intuition. Sometimes we call that genius. But it's that leap. Mm. 
Uh, and you absolutely see that with uh, with AI and computers. I mean, it's sort of a, to me, when I see that in the lab, I see an AI system do something I did not anticipate, something quote-unquote clever that I did not think about. It's uh, it's cool. It's sort of, uh, it's, it's like seeing your child learn something on their own, something that uh, when your child sort of surpasses you in their ability to do something, that's, that's a magical moment. Um, and I think yep. there's the same kind of magical moment when your AI system can do something that you did not explicitly teach it to do. And uh, it gives you sort of, uh, of course, it's a double-edged sword, but there's something very, uh, quite amazing about it. It's almost like creating life. Yeah, you said at one point that uh, some things happened that were a little bit scary to you. So I was going to ask you, why do you keep stuff when it does have scary elements? But I would guess the scary parts and the excitement all make it even more exciting to work on, more amazing. I, exactly, you nailed it. I mean, the, for, we can't help it. I mean, this is it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> scary, it's exciting at the same time, and and it just we can't we can't we can't help ourselves. I mean. Humans from from ancient times have been trying to breathe life into matter. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's this magical thing, and we want it's the ultimate. It's sort of the ultimate engineering challenge. You know, can you make something that is alive? And uh, you know, we're yeah. all trying to get there one way or another. Well, very good. Well, Had, um, any resources you want to point listeners to on how they can learn more about what you're doing? Maybe interact with you in some way. You know. Um, absolutely. So uh, you can uh, reach me uh, on email at hod.lipson at columbia.edu uh, anytime. And uh, there's uh, quite a few books talking about this topic from uh, things, uh, Martin Ford's Rise of the Robot to the book Superintelligence that all talk about sort of this journey of mankind into the future, uh, but also more practical uh you know, topics, if you want to read about driverless cars, for example, uh, a lot of the ability of uh, the emergence of driverless cars is about uh, new types of AI that finally allows to get there. So uh, really almost any path you're interested in is, uh, will, will uh, intersect with AI one way or another. Okay, well, Hod, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, you know, I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been interesting. My pleasure. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.